please stand. The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson which was read to you earlier. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. First, I didn't mention one of the reasons why I'm wearing this is because this is, a, this is supposed to be a festive garment. If you notice from the gospel lesson, it's about Jesus at a wedding feast. So I thought it would symbolize the festive nature of the gospel text. But anyways, a question could be very easily asked. Out of all the miracles that Jesus would eventually do, why is it that he chooses this one to be his first miracle? He would make the blind to see, the, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, he would even raise the dead, and yet this is the one that he chooses as his first miracle. Turning water into wine. Which, by the way, I don't know if you realize this, but turning water into wine isn't actually a miracle. It's how he turns water into wine that's a miracle. Scientifically, if you wanted to, you could turn water into wine. But it requires splitting atoms. And in order to create as much wine out of water as Jesus did, it would require a nuclear explosion that would make Nagasaki and Hiroshima look like nothing. So the miracle is that he turned water into wine without leaving a large crater in Cana. He didn't have to split the atoms. Or maybe he did in a miraculous manner. Either way, there was no explosion. Quite incredible, actually, when you realize just how amazing what he did was. But the thing, again, is, why this miracle? So, there are two details that give us a clue. One is the appearance of Jesus' mother. And the other part is when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. These are the two clues. See, Jesus, there's only, in the Gospel of John, there's only one other time that Jesus' mother shows up. And I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. So Jesus is at this wedding. And it is a custom, the, in Jesus' time, weddings were huge. And I mean a lot bigger than they are today. Now, they may not have spent as much money, but they knew how to party a whole lot better than we do. And I say this because most of us, when we do a wedding, you, have the you might have the rehearsal dinner, but that's only just family and friends. And then you have the wedding, you have the reception, and then the morning after, there might be kind of a brunch or something like that for some of the wedding party, and then that's it. Well, in Jesus' time, there was a wedding followed by a seven-day feast that included the entire community. It was one big 
party that lasted an entire week. Pretty awesome, huh? But one of the things is, is if you were the groom, it was the duty of you and your family to provide all of the refreshments, most notably the wine. Yes, and it is alcoholic wine because they can get drunk off of this. And so here's what happens is this man runs out of wine before the party is over. And this would be an utter source of embarrassment for the groom. To find, for anybody to find out that this wine is all gone. So the mother of Jesus, we know her name's Mary, but John doesn't call her Mary here. He just calls her Jesus' mother. She tells, so she comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, which by the way, this is not, this is not like Jesus going, what's this to me, woman? This is not mean and bad taste, Jesus. In, in Greek, if you call someone woman, it was actually a term of respect. It's kind of like saying miss, ma'am. It was title of respect. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And it's very interesting the way Jesus says that. My hour has not yet come. He doesn't say, this isn't my hour. He said, my hour has not yet come. What hour? Well, see, the thing is, is the person who provides the wine is the groom. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is not my wedding yet. Meaning that Jesus will have a wedding. But it wasn't on that day. For him to prepare the wine, that would be like him saying that he is the groom. But nonetheless, Jesus does it. He does the miracle, and by the way, that has been debated throughout the millennia as to why did Jesus end up doing it. Even though he said, what does this have to do with me? But he did it. Maybe it was out of, simply out of respect to his mother, but who knows? And so he does this miracle out of, the, out of the six stone water jars and 20 or 30 gallons, which, like I said, that's a lot of wine. A lot of water into a lot of wine. I looked it up once. It was like the, like the, the bomb that would, like that would require to do this would pretty much level the state of Iowa. I mean, it, was a, it would take a massive explosion to do it, which is why this is actually pretty awesome. But, then, but again, the question, so Jesus is saying that this is not my hour yet. When is his wedding? Well, to help you out with this, I'm going to have to jump backwards to the book of Genesis. This is Genesis chapter 2. It said, this is after Eve has been created. Eve was created. In most of your English translations, it says that she was created from the rib of Jesus, of Adam. But it's actually, the Greek word is side. It's from Adam's side that Eve was created. And so it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, 
and we're not ashamed. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind. So Jesus departs from that wedding, and he goes on teaching and preaching, doing miracles of all sorts. And we were talking about the Gospel of John, which means also includes him raising Lazarus from the dead. And many times you say, the hour is coming, the hour is coming. But eventually he would say, the hour is almost at hand. The hour is at hand. And then in John chapter 19, standing by the cross of Jesus. So Jesus is already in the gospel, Matthew and Mark and Luke. He had said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who is God in relationship to Jesus? His Father, right? So why have you abandoned me? So standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. This is the only other time in John's gospel that his mother shows up. And his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which, by the way, the disciple whom he loved is not Mary Magdalene, contrary to what Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code said. It is the Apostle John, the one that is writing this gospel. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour... The disciple took her to his own home. See, that is, this is his hour. And after he had said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, and of the others who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. See, in Jewish tradition, in the, in the Roman practice of crucifixion, if they wanted someone to die really fast, there were two ways they did it. The number one way they did it was they would take a club, it was almost like a baseball bat, and took it to the legs and shattered them. Basically, the person would either die from the sheer pain or they would suffocate within five minutes. It's like holding somebody's head underwater. Or the more merciful is what they did to Jesus, what is known as the death pierce. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. So, so if you think about it, the, sword, the, the cross is a little bit elevated to them. And if you're going to pierce into the side, what's the natural direction it's going? Like that, right? Which is going straight to the heart. And by the way, the place where the, sword, the spear goes in, the Greek word used there is the exact same word that is used from where God took from Adam to create Eve. The exact same Greek word. The spear goes in to the heart, and out flows water and blood. The water coming from the cardial sac, which fills up with fluid during a crucifixion, 
and the blood from the heart, verifying that Jesus is dead. See, at the wedding at Cana, Jesus turned the water into wine, getting the bridegroom out of a bit of a jam. He was in a situation where he was going to be greatly embarrassed. When Jesus was on the cross, it was his hour. It was his wedding. Actually, it wasn't just his wedding. It was the wedding to define all weddings. Because the reality is, is that we are in a jam. We are in the jam that is caused by our sin. As today is, this weekend is Life Sunday, Life Weekend, and we focus on a text that is very heavily surrounding marriage, you cannot help but think about how we have dishonored marriage in our culture. Watch, watch your typical movie or typical TV show. How long does it take for a character to end up sleeping with the other in a relationship? Not very long. Usually one, two, maybe at best three dates. To see a relationship, I, don't, I can't even think of one show in the last ten years or movie where the character actually waited to get married before they slept together. And this is in spite of the fact that every, not even talking biblically, every scientific data that's out there has shown that premarital relations is not good for the person or the couple. It has been verified going all the way back to Freud. Even though Freud was obsessed with that stuff, he even begrudgingly admitted that it was bad. Even secular... Anybody confuse CNN for a highly conservative news network? Okay. Even CNN has written articles about how it is a surefire way to make sure your relationship doesn't last. And there is biology, there is scientific reasoning for it. And in fact, it is extremely detrimental to women in particular. It empowers men over women more than it does women over men. We have, we have done such incredible damage to this wonderful gift that God has given us. I mean, think about it, going all the way back to Genesis 1. The very first command that God ever gave to man was to be fruitful and multiply. The very first, that's the first command. The first gift to Adam was Eve, his wife. Marriage is an incredible gift from God. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing that he has given to us by which we are to be fruitful and multiply. And yet, our, our entire culture messes it up, distorts it. The idea of the husband being the head of the house is absolutely horrible in our culture. It's unacceptable to most of our society. 
And what's more is that many men don't realize what it means to be the head of the house. The head of the house does not mean that you get to have your way, does not mean that you get to be abusive or manipulative. Rather, it means that you are to be sacrificing. It means that you are willing to die for your bride. That's what it means to be the head of the house. And yet men are willing to easily set it aside or they, there are some who decide to turn it to tyranny within their household. We mock God's command to be fruitful and multiply. As it is Life Sunday, we can't help but be mindful of the millions and millions who are killed through abortion. It is, it is the American Holocaust. It is one, and yet we find it completely acceptable. Or many do. We think, well, well if somebody is pro-choice, it's no big deal if we vote for them. Might as well be saying, well, you know, they might have been okay with the Holocaust, but let's vote for them for about these other things. Because yes, that is a human being within the womb that is killed. How many lives have been snuffed out? You hear countries like Iceland bragging that they have eliminated Down syndrome. What they don't tell you is they did it through abortion. They killed all the Down syndrome children. That is how we mock God's command to be fruitful and multiply. We deny that women are women. We deny that men are men. We tell them that your, your sex is not based upon your chromosomes, but based upon what you feel. We tell them that, that a marriage can between, be between anybody as long as they love each other. Love is love, we are told. All of this is defiance against God and his design for marriage. And that is just, by the way, that's just one commandment. That's just all the ways that the sixth commandment works. You shall not commit adultery. But here's the thing. That is the evidence of how we are in a bind on account of our sin. That is the reason why April 3rd at 33 AD, on that hill in Gol called Golgotha, or the place of the skull, that was the day of not a wedding, but the wedding. The wedding that every other marriage is measured against. Every other marriage is a reflection of it. Because on that day, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God, left his Father as he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He left his mother when he said, behold your son. And his side was pierced and out of it came water by which we are united to him. As Paul says in Romans 6, do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, as you are crucified with him in your baptism, you will also be raised with him to a new life. 
and out from his side came blood. The feast. The feast that he has prepared for us, his bride. Yes, you, the body of the Christ, you are the bride. You are the one whom he died to give life. So that everything that is his is yours. That's why he picked Cana for his first miracle. Because it was pointing to what he was to do. It's pointing to his marriage. The marriage by all, what all marriages are defined by. Look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 where it says that the husband is to be the head of the wife. Just as Christ is the head of the church. But as you keep going, it says, and he gave his life up for the church. In other words, husbands are to be willing to give up their life for their bride. In our culture, as we keep talking about masculinity, what's problem in our culture is not with masculinity, but that masculinity is corrupted by sin. Masculinity is a gift from God to man to protect his wife. Not because she's weak. You don't protect things because they're weak. I have not seen anybody fighting for the rights of mosquitoes and flies. Even though they're really easy to kill. Well, kind of, if they're not too fast. But once you get them, they're done. We protect things because they're valuable. The reason why the wife is the one that's chosen to be protected and not the husband is because the wife is more valuable than the husband. That's masculinity, according to Scripture. The husband is to be a living sacrifice. When he said, I do, he is saying that I am willing to have nails driven into my hands and my feet, to have a crown of thorns placed upon my skull, if that means you living and me dying. Because that is what Christ did. Yes, if you were at the wedding a few weeks ago, you heard that. But that is what Christ did for you. He took the wounds that you may live. And so that when you stand before him, all of those sins that I talked about, if somebody's had an abortion, if somebody has done anything to support it, or been discouraging and promoting of life, if someone struggles with homosexual tendencies, if someone struggles with trans what their identity is sexually, whether they're male or female, if somebody has struggled with lust, if somebody has cheated on their spouse, no matter what the sin, no matter how great or small, before God, on account of Christ, in your baptism, and the gift of forgiveness in the Lord's Supper, he only sees you holy, white, without blemish, his bride, without sin. That is what it means to be his bride. That is why the wedding at Cana is so important. Till the day when we join in that everlasting feast, which won't be seven days, it will be everlasting. To our bridegroom, Christ, be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen.